He never stops working. He never stops. Never stops working. Let's, let's take a census real quick. How many folk in here know him to be a way maker? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, that, that, that's important because some of y'all have place in life that you couldn't have gotten to by yourself. God has blessed you to be in a position. If you had drawn a line, you couldn't have drawn a line to where God has you in life. And, and so you ought to know he's a way maker for you. Yeah. How many of you know he's a promise keeper? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Promise keeper. Promise. Promise. He promised. He promised never to leave me alone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How about a light in the darkness? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Light in the darkness. Light in the darkness. Darkness isn't always physical. Sometimes the darkness is mental. Yeah, sometimes you wake up in the morning on a bright sunshiny day and in your mind is dark. He's a light in that darkness, just a glimmer of light, maybe in the form of a phone call from somebody who loves you. My God, maybe in the form of a text message saying you're special to me today, my God. Maybe in the form of you just hearing a baby crying somewhere, reminding you that he is taking care of you. He's all these things, but he's our God. I don't know what he particularly is for you, but find out because he can be just what you need him to be. He doesn't have to be for you what he is for me. And I like that. I have different requirements because I got different problems, and different issues, and God fixes it up just, just, just for me. He's here, healing every heart. And we worship him. My God, that's who you are. Last week we started talking about a sermon series that we entitled Questions God Asks. Questions that come from God. Now, we're using the example given in scripture to certain individuals, but God's question to you may be very different. But we're gonna use the lessons we learned from them to try to help us answer the questions that God is asking, is asking us questions from God. This next question is one that's familiar to us all of you had the opportunity to read the Bible. And you got it today. Turn this first question in the Bible that God asked. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Passage of Scripture is 1 through 9. 
if you, if you had to know the history of this passage, it's, it's when the train comes off the rails for our relationship with the Lord. This is where it all got messed up. And God asks a pivotal question. In verse 9, he asked the man, I love this, the generic, his name was Adam. He asked him, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Passage starts out talking about one of the animals in the kingdom. God had just spent six days preparing the entire existence as we know it. He had rested on that seventh day. One of those creatures he created was a serpent. And Moses wrote, Moses wrote Genesis. God inspired Moses to write Genesis. So the history of this book is you should know that. Moses was inspired to write that the serpent, Willie, was more crafty than any of the other wild animals. One thing we do know, apparently, the serpent could talk, could talk to Eve. Not only did he talk to Eve, he challenged Eve. Serpent said to her, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? That's how your friends get you messed up. That's how folks get you messed up. They, they, yeah, yeah. You go to the door. Hey, man, what's up? Can you come outside? No, man, my mama said I can't come outside. Why is she gone? Did your mama really say you can't come outside? I mean, can, you can't come down to my house, because can you come out on the porch? Well, I guess she, you know, the porch is part of the house, so if I come out on the porch, it'll be all right. So yeah, I'm gonna come out on the porch. Yeah, and mama come home, ride down the street, there's six boys on the porch. First thing mama says, didn't I tell you not to go outside? I, I, didn't, I didn't go outside, Mama. I went on the porch. Ain't the porch outside. <laughs> but see, your friend will have you doubting what you know your mama already told you to do. That's what happened in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we can eat of any fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, she said, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. And then the serpent said, man, come on. You won't surely die. See, because see, God knows that when you when you eat of the, that fruit, your eyes are going to be open. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. If you want to understand the essence of this passage of Scripture, 
then underline those words, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. It is the downfall of man to want to be like God. So, you know, just like she was in Costco or Sam's, somebody stand up there with a tray with, it, you know, forbidden fruit. She ain't got no business tasting it. The doctor already told you, leave all that stuff. You, she reach over there and get some. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we act like we got to have the stuff they offer. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, first thing she said, it was, it was good for food and pleasing to the eyes. It was also desirable for gaining wisdom. My goodness. She took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And I need to editorialize right there and put in parentheses, and who said nothing. And he ate it. And then verse 7 said, then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord, from the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. And God then asked the question, where are you? Now that gives you a background on why God asked the question, where are you? Questions, why do we use questions when we're in these type situations. You use them every day. We all do. We use questions for a few reasons. First, we, we, we use questions to discover information. Yeah. We ask questions because we're, we're curious on a particular topic or uh, for example, we, we might ask children ask the question, why is the sky gray? I mean blue. Why is the sky blue? Uh, how does a plane fly? I'm still asking that question. How does a plane fly? I don't understand the engineering of it. I really can't wrap my mind around how the plane can stay in there. I really can't. But it does. It does. And we ask those questions so we can learn. I'm sure if I asked the questions long enough and with enough specificity, I would soon figure out why all that happens. We also ask questions to uh, strike up conversations. Some stuff, you know, hey, how you doing today, Red? Yeah, we ask questions. We want to know. I've never met him before, but how you doing? Uh, Casanova, where you from? We ask questions. So we can learn different things about people. Do you have a family? How long have you lived here? And this is how we get to know one another. Teachers also ask questions. All day long, teachers and parents, yeah, all day. And they do it to assess whether or not the children have retained the information 
they're trying to get them to understand. Yeah. I ask in court all the time, part of my regular colloquy with people, do you understand what's been told you? And most of the time, people, nervous, will say, I do. I understand. I know what's going on. And so I say, can you tell me? Because if they can tell me, then that tells me that they understand at least what's been said to them. Yeah. History teacher might ask, who's the first president of the United States? Yeah. And of course, today, everybody's going to say Obama. <laughs> Not everybody. <laughs> I mean, we made the first real president. <laughs> yeah. And so it's not odd that God starts asking questions. And it's not odd that we find pivotal questions in the Bible and that God uses this as a pretext to, disco to discover whether or not the people he's interacting with and has just, cre has just created understand what they've done. And that's why we find ourselves in this series. God's challenging their knowledge or their actions or their beliefs. And that's the fourth reason. The fourth reason is to have somebody reflect on what they've just done. That's the fourth reason we ask questions, all right? The benefit is not for us. The benefit is for the person being questioned as to whether or not they understand what they've done. And that's why you ask them a question. A counselor might ask you, if you were in counseling, how does that make you feel? All right, that's not really for the counselor's benefit. That's for you to explore your emotion at that moment. What lesson did you learn from this situation? And that's why God is asking Adam this question. He wants to know, do you understand the weight of what you have done? in this space. I want you to think about what you have done to our relationship by your actions. God had created a perfect situation, Tyrone. It was perfect. There was nothing lacking in the relationship. All he did was draw barriers around one tree. And you think about the multiplicity of trees and kinds of fruit and everything you need in this space, Linda. And yet, he said, just this one. Do not touch it first. Do not touch it. And absolutely do not eat from it. And yet, we go from those instructions to this inquisition, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And we're going to discover that Adam has stepped into something we have yet to rectify. 
by his actions. In fact, God had to straighten up what Adam messed up by his action. Rude awakening came to this idyllic situation. How does Adam, how do Adam and Eve go from walking with God to hiding? How do, how do they do that? Why do they go from walking with God to hiding? God came strolling, the Bible says he came through the garden like he did every day. I, I love the notion, if you will, that God came every day on a visit to Adam and Eve. Came in the garden as he normally would. Just, just to be, with, to commune with a fellowship with them like he did every day. Can you imagine every day in your life God comes visiting you? Just sit down have a conversation with you? God, the creator, comes in. But he does. <laughs> Doesn't he come talk to you every day? This is not just something that's limited to the garden. Because God closed the garden up after this episode. But God didn't go away. So my question to you is, does God talk to you every day? And if not, why? Why aren't you talking to God every day? Are you, are you hiding? Because Adam and Eve knew they had done something wrong and found themselves hiding. They had gotten a sense of something that made them ashamed of who they were. They also felt exposed, said we were naked. And so we put on some clothes. We were naked. Why fig leaves, one must ask. Why did their nakedness expose them to shame in that space? Why, why was it that they had to go and put on some fig leaves? There were no other people there. It's just Adam and Eve and God. So what's the level of this shame that they had to cover up? And so I ask you today, are you hiding? Then nobody can answer this question but you. Because Adam and Eve must have felt dirty, inappropriate to be in God's presence. But we got folk today who don't live in the garden, but who hiding. Oh, they're hiding. They're hiding. Yeah. The Bible is not unclear about how man, the creation, reacts when he is in the presence of a holy God. Clear. That there is a physical change to any man who's in God's presence. Remember, I don't know if you know that Moses, the Bible said when Moses was in God's presence, Moses came back and it was as if all his visage was white. His hair was silver when he came out of God's presence. There's a change that comes just from being near God. So you can imagine that knowing 
what they had just discovered after eating their fruit, Adam and Eve changed. And they realized that we shouldn't even be around God. And so they started trying to fashion something to cover themselves with. And think about us and the sin we have. And some of us, some of us sin unreservedly and brag about it. Oh, I know I'm right about it. Yeah, I'm not even asking for a show of hands on this. We all fall short on a daily basis. And we all put ourselves in situations where we're hiding from God. Yeah, and clothes ain't got nothing to do with it. We all struggle in our relationship. Yeah. We all act like God's going to be disappointed in us. Can I tell you something? I want to free you of something. The disappointment comes from you, not from God. Because to be disappointed would imply that God didn't know you. And God knows everything. So he already knows you. And he knows what you are all about. And so when you sin, you're upset because you know you have fallen short of what you're capable of doing. So it's not God that's disappointed. It's you that's disappointed in yourself. God knows you. God knows everything about you, the good and the bad. God, you can write this down, God doesn't get disappointed. All right? He doesn't. He knows you. He knows us. God's notion always matches reality. Yeah. So if I can make it clear, more plain to you, God loves you not because of what you do and don't do, but in spite of what you do and don't do. He loves you anyhow. He loves you anyhow. You know how, how we say to our children, you're going to be good today. Huh? You're going to be good today. And they say, yeah. They get out the car going to school, be good. Yeah. Ain't. <laughs> For the end of the day, principal called him. Come get him. Yeah, we fooled ourselves into thinking that God can only love us when I'm doing good. Somebody, I want to help you right now. God loves you anyway. God loves you in the good and the bad. He loves you. So if he loves us anyway, how is it that we hide? How are we hiding? Well, the, the worst way we hide is through religion. Oh, yeah. Oh, we put on the show. We put on the show. We act like, we act like me and God good. Because I come to church. But we don't have no relationship. 
No, no, I just come to church. I put on my best, and I sit there, and I say hallelujah. But we don't have no relationship. I'm depending on the stuff he gave me and not him. It's relationship that makes the difference. And we cover that up with religion. We think, I'm going to be all right because I got a retirement. We ain't depending on God. Yeah, we're not. We're not. Now don't get mad at me because I'm exposing. We show up at church and we smile. We sing the song that come up on the screen. And we can see them. When we sing, we don't mean it. We still mad at somebody in our family. Come, come on now. We still upset over something somebody did in high school. Yeah, yeah, high school. I ain't talking about college. We see folk out in public. We mad because he still got her. Oh, don't act like I ain't telling the truth now. We still mad about that. You know, God didn't bless me like I begged him to. And because of that, I'm mad. Still upset over sibling stuff. Still say we got church hurt. When it ain't the church, it's the folk in the church that do that. It ain't, it ain't the church, but we take it out on the church. Yeah. Yeah. It's like saying, I don't like the Jones family, but it was really Donnell Jones that did it to you. So you should be mad or upset with Donnell and not all the rest of them 60 folk in there. But you say, I don't like the whole Jones family. And I can say Jones family because I am the Jones family. Yeah, yeah. We never really appreciate God's word in our life and we don't really try to practice it like we should. We, we, we only do the bare minimum to stay connected. We do the bare minimum to be connected, but we want God to keep giving us the maximum. We're hiding behind religion. Religion is the death of relationship. Yeah, it is. We're covering it up. It's like the Pharisee. The Sadducee, they cover themselves up. They try to obey the letter, the letter of the law, but they don't help folk. And they don't love people. Guess what? People can tell when you love them. And they can tell when you sacrifice folk. Yeah, we feel good because we give somebody $5 out of $5,000 roll we got. Now that's good. But does it meet the need or does it just satisfy what we think is good? Really help somebody. I'm sorry. We're hiding. We're hiding and we're making ourselves feel good about it. Yeah. We also hide by sinning more and more. Yeah, we just, we just get deeper and deeper in it. We try to numb ourselves to it. Yeah. We numb ourselves to it. We just drink ourselves into oblivion. Oh, oh, we do. Just drink it away. I just have another drink. Not just alcohol, drugs, too. Be careful with that. 
Be careful with that. You know, drugs for some people are business. I read in the paper last week, week before last, that the drug cartel, the drug cartel in Mexico, told their suppliers to stop making fentanyl. The drug cartel told the folk down the line from them who pushed fentanyl to stop making it. Because fentanyl, they ain't nothing about cocaine, weed, methamphetamine, none of that other stuff. But they said fentanyl is bad for business. Stop making it. If you make it, the cartel told their distributors, we gonna get you. They've been kidnapping and killing their own folk who keep making fentanyl. Why? Because it's business. Because if you take a drug and the first time you take it, it kills you, you can't keep taking drugs, which means you can't, they ain't got no repeat customers. Yeah, see, so hear me now, here the other side of that is when I get a drug, I want you to keep coming back by more drugs. I got to keep you strung out. I figured out how many times you're going to come back to me. I'm going to bleed you for everything I can, squeeze you. But they said fentanyl don't work that way. Fentanyl, you take it one time, it'll kill you. And not only that, the, the police, the authorities are all over everybody doing anything with fentanyl. So it's too much scrutiny on them for fentanyl. Now that ought to tell you something about sin. We all right with this sin, but this sin is wrong. <laughs> yeah, this is the sinner, the sin producer, who's trying to draw a line on how much drugs you can use or which drugs you can use. None of it it's for your benefit. It's all for their bottom line because it's about money. It's not about your health or your safety. Sin, you just get deeper in it, get more specific in it. Sin, yeah. We hide from God through excuses. I ain't got time. I got other things. We're hiding. We're hiding from God. Sometimes we, can't, we hide from him just because we don't care. We don't care. I don't really have no excuse. Ain't no reason for me not to. I just don't. I just don't. I just don't care no more. Drink as much as you want because you don't care. The folks have already told you stop drinking. You're going to hurt yourself. You don't care anymore. Some of that might be because you're depressed. But the, uh, drinking is not going to help your depression. It's only going to make it, make it worse. But can I tell you something? Your physical cho choices will always have spiritual consequences. Your physical choices will always have spiritual consequences. Let me see if I can give you an example. If you decide you want to read your Bible, that's a physical choice. But that physical choice of reading your Bible has spiritual consequences as you read it. All right? Likewise, not reading your Bible. All right? That's a physical choice that has spiritual consequences because you're not strengthening yourself in your walk. 
Help me now. You want to be better in your walk with the Lord? Get to know him better. Spend time with him. Understand how he interacted with other people and other circumstances. This is strengthening to you. If you choose to sin, there will be spiritual consequences, Adam and Eve found out. They only thought there were going to be physical consequences. They only thought that by adding, I mean, eating the fruit, they would physically die. It never entered their wee little minds that the death they would experience would be spiritual, which it did. It killed the relationship with God. It didn't physically kill them, but it sure started them on that pathway. Some people are playing with sin. Don't understand that there are consequences that come about with it. it ain't no big deal. Laugh about it. We make TikToks about it. Yeah. God sees what happens in the daytime and the nighttime. When I was preparing this message, I was thinking about kids. You know how when little children, uh, when, when, when toddlers are playing with you and you're playing hide and seek, they think because they close their eyes and can't see you, you can't see them. And so they go hide by something that's too, too small to hide them. And then they close their eyes. And they think you can't see them when you're looking right at them. And you say, you hiding? They might even answer you. Yes, I'm hiding. Ooh, I can't see you. You know, we play this game with folk. Yeah, we do that with grown folk, too. Yeah. They think because they dip around the corner and get high. You don't know what they're doing. But they in the wide open and with cameras everywhere now. You see everything they're doing. You, but, but that's with us and our physical ability. No matter where you go, whether it's day or night, under the bridge, whatever, behind the alley, I mean, in the alley behind the, uh, the garage, God still knows where you are. He still sees you. He understands where you are just because you make sure there ain't no preacher in there. And we're not off limits either. We struggle as well. There is no hiding from God. None. Adam, where are you? Andre, where are you? Is what he's saying. Why are you hiding from me? It's an amazing thing. Though, I love this about this story, and I'm out of here. Even though Adam and Eve messed up, even though we, they were hiding, they discovered that they were less than... Um, they were not appropriate to be in God's presence of their own, and only, only through his grace did he allow it. God still knowing, see, people forget this. On the day that the serpent and Eve and Adam had their interaction, we act like in the scripture that we just read, God just happened to come in and find out <laughs> that they had eaten. That would imply that God is not all-knowing. 
that he didn't already know that they had sinned against him. Clearly, that's not the appropriate way to read Scripture, but knowing that they had already violated his command to them, what did God do? He still came in the garden looking for them. Knowing they had messed up, somebody ought to hear me in this now, he still came looking for them. Knowing they were wrong, God still came in to fellowship with them. God still came in to love and be with them. And then he asked them the question, simple question, where are you? In other words, I'm here, I'm looking for you, I know what you've done, I simply want to ask you to acknowledge what you've done. God knows what we've done wrong. Waiting and hiding and stopping, he knows where we are. And he never grows tired of pursuing us, coming for us. Never. God knows where we messed up. God came in the garden looking for his children. Because that's what a father does, Cass. He comes looking for his children. He comes looking for his good children. And he comes looking for his children that are messed up. But he keeps looking for his children. Look, 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 look. Let me, let me see. When you grew up in our house, 13, 17, there were rules in the house. Oh, oh, yeah, there were rules in the house. Get up, make up your bed, time to eat, come down to the table. Rarely could we take our food to the room and eat. We ate at the, now we do this all the time now. We had to eat at the table with everybody else. We had chores to do. I want the bathroom clean before I come home. These are the rules. Yeah, they were the rules of the Sparks house. And when you didn't do them, there were consequences for not doing those things that you were supposed to do. So let me ask you this question, church family. Did I become a Sparks when I learned how to do all the chores and mastered all the rules? Is that when I became a Sparks? Because I knew how to do everything mom and daddy wanted me to do? No, that's not when I became a Sparks. Yeah, I was already a Sparks, all right? And the reason I did everything I was supposed to do was because I was a Sparks, because these are the rules. We don't become a child of God and do all the rules so we can become a child of God. It's because we're a child of God that we obey all the rules. That's why we do what God tells us to do. The rules he's given us are for our benefit to draw us closer to him, not to make us his child. We're already his children. And that's why we, of all people, do what he tells us to do. That's how he loves us. You follow the rules because you're a child of God already. Adam and Eve were his children. Children disobey and children need to be corrected. And in this instance, God came in and he did just that. Oh, there was severe consequences for what they did. And so it reminds me of the most famous father-children interaction 
in the Bible, the prodigal son, gives us an example of what we can expect going forward when God has just an obstinate child. Yeah, yeah, he would be the grandfather of babies in the Bible. The prodigal son came to his dad and said, I don't love you no more, I wish you were dead. In fact, give me what I got coming as if you were dead. This is what he said to his dad. And his daddy loved him enough to love him through his obstinance and gave him what he asked for. Sometimes in your child's life, the worst thing you can do for them is give them what they want and let them learn through the process. Sometimes that's the best thing. So he gave it to him, and what did he do? Exactly what you knew. He took every dime he had and spent it and got rid of it and wasted it, had nothing to show for it, nowhere to go, living in the gutter, utterly wasted every resource that his daddy gave him. But that's not the point of the story. Let me tell you why that's not the point of the story. We spend so much time talking about how bad the child was. That's not the point of the story. Because we may not be bad to that degree, but we are wasteful. We take what God gives us and spend it like we shouldn't have. We too are involved in riders living. We too are the child. Keep everything and still hate everybody. We are all those children. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that through it all, God still loved both of his children. That's the point of the story. And what did God do every day? You miss this in the story. You don't know it in Luke chapter 15. The point of the story is that every day, just like God in the garden, Ella, the father got up and went looking for his child. Every day he got up remember, and looked down the road to see if his boy was coming. And even though the boy was coming and willing to work in his daddy's household as a servant, the Bible says that his daddy, when he saw him running, coming down the street, ran to him. This is the one who was horrible. This is the one who spent all his money. The father ran to him and embraced him and accepted him as a child. Because God's been waiting on you too. He ran, he's ready to run and embrace you, welcome you back into the family because God loves to come get his children. That's his job as a loving father. He never grows tired of loving on his children. It's probably no coincidence that the very first question in the Old Testament, Reggie, is the question we talk about today. Where are you? It's also no coincidence, it's providence, that the very first question in the New Testament found in Matthew is, where is he? Yeah, Old Testament, where are you? New Testament, where is he? Wise men still ask that question. Where is he who was born in a manger? Yeah, it's no doubt that God still wants us seeking him 
still wants us looking for him. Didn't die with the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, God's son is who we need to be looking for. Where is he who came to save me from my sin? Where is he who came to live like me and other men? Where is he who didn't mind dying on my cross? Where is he who gave up his life for all of us who were lost? Where is he? And I came to tell you, he lives. He's alive. He did do all those things. He came, he lived, was crucified, and he died. But he didn't stay dead. The Bible says that he got up out of that grave three days later, and guess what he's doing right now? He's looking for you. Wants you to come into his family. And so, yeah, keep telling your friends to ask the question, where is he? But you ought to have an answer for him. You ought to tell him, I'm his representative. I can show you where he is, because he's in my heart, and I can share him with you. Do you know him for yourself? Have you told anybody else about him? If you've never acknowledged that he's your Lord, today is the day. Now is the time. I have the blessed opportunity to invite you to be part of his household because he came here today looking for you. He came in here this morning looking for you. Are you ready? Don't leave here today and make his search in vain. Today is the day that you need to give yourself that or first give yourself to the Lord. Today is the day he's been looking for you. The doors of our church are wide open. Yeah, today is the day. Come on down.